I am Joe Posnanski, and uh, as you all know, Michael Shore is uh, on assignment making a television show, Uh, although I will tell you uh, there is a 63% chance, which is the highest percentage chance we can ever give anything uh, on the podcast, uh, 63% chance that uh, Michael will return next week's podcast to do our baseball preview so very exciting but even more exciting uh we have with us today as guest host in our continuing cavalcade of stars alan seppenwall alan welcome i i'm surprised frankly that i was allowed back after the christmas draft yeah well it was it was a close call you know we went to the commissioner uh asked for special permission you know he had banned you uh forever <laughs> Wow. And uh, yeah, I deserved. know which deserved deserved for, for that. Uh, here's the thing I love about uh, the Christmas draft. And obviously everybody uh, who's listening, I imagine, knows this. But we had a holiday Christmas characters draft and uh, Alan uh, taking the uh, I guess the route that uh, that uh, he was going to outsmart everyone uh, decided that since it was an, a holiday uh, character draft, he was going to take. Phil Connors uh, uh, used the holiday as it, it sounds silly even now, doesn't it, Alan? It, it sounds even even uh, now it sounds. Goofy. I think I I think my genius will not be appreciated in its time, Joe. <laughs> Here's the great part about it: you'll never ever live it down. That's the, the to me. It's like literally almost any time you tweet anything, somebody will tweet you uh, about that. It seems like. Yes, or just like anytime you tweet anything about the podcast, <laughs> people will like copy me in to say like if Alan had been there, he would have done this incredibly stupid and unfair thing. Yes, that's so that's good. I feel I feel like you you totally accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. Um we are having a draft today, so we'll see if you're going to stay stay true to the spirit of the rules or if you're going to go off on a, on on your own tangent, uh, we'll, we'll find out. Uh, but first, um, we're going to talk some baseball, uh, but even before that, we're going to talk a little bit about your book because it, it, explain to me, um, the whole situation because the book came out and then it like was, was sort of not in print. Explain this whole book situation. All right. So me. I wrote this book called the Soprano sessions with Matt Zeller my old buddy from the star ledger, uh, which was Tony Soprano's newspaper. It came out a couple days before the 20th anniversary of the Sopranos. And um, I guess some bookstores underestimated the amount of enthusiasm there would be for people to celebrate the Sopranos 20th anniversary. And so some places kind of underordered it and our publisher, you know, print largely printed to order what there was. And so within a couple of weeks, the book was sold out everywhere and it took, then we had another printing that sold out very quickly. Now we are finally on the fourth printing. And with the fourth printing, I believe the book is available wherever you go. If you walk into your Barnes and Noble, if you walk into your local indie bookstore and you say, I would like this, even if they don't have it, they should be able to get it for you pretty quickly. Um, So that, that is, it's nice to know that people want the book. And it's also a relief now that it is again out there in the world. Yes, and and there's nothing really better than having what you would call a runaway success with a book, and then not being able to live up to it to actually sell the book. That's really got to that's got to be a great feeling. Uh, as you well know, we had Gary Goldman uh, as one of our our uh, cavalcade of stars guest hosts uh, a, a couple of weeks ago. 
he loved the book uh loved it loved it enough that he brought it up completely without even me mentioning uh, that i even knew you brought up the book brought up how much he loved it but also made the point that it is the best value in nonfiction because the words are tiny Yes, and Gary, I'm sorry that it was kind of hard to read. <laughs> like that, this was one of many compromises. I believe when Matt and I turned in the initial draft of the manuscript, uh, our editor, you, we could like see his hair being pulled out as he imagined <laughs> how thick the book would be, how much it would cost. It would be like you know the unabridged King James Bible, and right. with a retail price of like eighty seven dollars. And so first we had to hack and slash a lot of stuff out of it. And then, you know, when that wasn't quite enough, the next decision was to go to a slightly smaller font. Slightly, and it's, yeah. yeah. And at several events now, we've had people say it's it's a little tough to read. So if you are, you know, if you have problems with your vision, you might want to look into the ebook version because then you can enhance the print as large as you want. I don't even want to think about how big the large print edition of the book might be. I want to know why you guys wouldn't sell sort of like little magnifying glasses, little, little, you know, sort of specially branded uh, uh, magnifying glasses that Tony Soprano would use maybe to read the paper or something. I, I'm just offering options. I know that's offering. not bad, but I feel like if someone on the show had to have used a magnifying glass and that really wasn't a thing, you know, if, oh, if this on. was like Somebody a Sherlock Holmes book. <laughs> Some, somebody somewhere along the way uh, should have used one. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe just just making these offers. Anyway, the book is absolutely fantastic. Uh, I love it. And uh, it is called The Soprano Sessions. And you can get it now. Finally, you can get it everywhere. So uh, so could not be could not uh, could not have, you know, sort of more praise for it. It's 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 absolutely terrific. I love the show. But it was reliving the show through the book, and uh, uh, and you and I imagine other people have told you this too. After reading the book, I then had to go to YouTube and find numerous scenes uh, from from The Sopranos just to sort of relive, just to see if I remembered it exactly the way that uh, that you described it. So excellent. That's uh, it's very good to hear. One of the best things I did a book event last week, and they had like some twenty five year old kid there to run the AV, you know, the microphones and stuff. And after the talk, he came up to me and says, "Wow, I guess I have to watch The Sopranos now. I never did." So wow. like I like that's the the best thing isn't even so much like the people who watched the show originally who were excited to talk about it again. It's the idea that like finally you're you know all these people who only watch stuff on Netflix are realizing, hey, we need to make an effort for this because this is special. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and it is it is uh, the the show that I'm going to uh, rewatch uh, with my oldest daughter uh, starting uh, as soon as we finish the show that we are going to be focusing on later today in the draft. So, uh, very cool. But let's let's move on to the most important element of this show, and and the reason I have you on because I'm not here to promote your book. I got my own book to promote. I can't <laughs> wait, 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 Joe. You wrote, wait, you wrote a book. What, what know, is this, this book about? This is so it's so weird. You know, I have a here. I here it is. I have a a podcast. I have uh, uh you know my own blog i have my own website i have my, and and yet i i've just done such a poor job of letting people know that i have written a book about harry houdini i it's really weird um that i've just because i because every time i i you know mention it to somebody like well you need to get out there you need to get out there and sell that thing i mean you can't you, people aren't just gonna just find out and and they're right they're right i do a, i've done a poor job i am writing 
Uh, I'm not, I'm going to rephrase that because it's always been, I am writing. I have written because I have now sent in the <laughs> final edited version. Oh, that's a good uh, feeling. Very good feeling. Cause I, you know, I'd sent in the final version, which that in itself is a good feeling. Then you get the first pass of, of, of edits. Uh, I have finished that. So I am actually done with the book. Uh, the life and afterlife of Harry Houdini coming out October 22nd. Uh, and it was just Harry Houdini's birthday, uh, Sunday. He, 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 uh, turned 145 uh, wow. on Sunday. So, uh, so anyway, that's a perfect reason for you to go out and buy the book, but I'm going to say this because my book isn't coming out for six months. Buy Alan's book first. Uh, see, look at this. Look how much I care about you. I'm saying, buy look your how, book Look first. how much you've forgiven me for drafting Phil Connors that you would have yeah. me on to shamelessly plug my book. I appreciate Here, it, Joe. Here's the problem. Mike's not on the show. If Mike was on today, he would he'd be berating me for being so nice to you, uh, and he'd be telling people how terrible the book is. That's let's be honest. So, but he's also um, a Boston sports fan, so really his opinion shouldn't be trusted on anything. <laughs> He'll be happy to hear that. He will be happy to hear that. All right, let's talk Yankees. Yankee minute. We are about to start. We sort of have started baseball season. I, I I don't get what baseball even does anymore. What is opening day? When is it? Like, who, who counts? I, it already it, happened in Japan, I think. I know. Well, yeah, it did. I mean, it's yeah. it seems very, I, I, I don't know. It, it seemed to me, I mean, and I am not, I would not call myself. I mean, there are things that I am traditionalist about, traditional about in baseball, but I am generally somebody who wants to see the game grow and change and be different. And, and, and to me, there's no idea that I wouldn't at least want to think about, you know, as, as they come up with these, some of these new ideas, I'm, I'm like, let's, let's at least give those a try. But the old, the old, just starting baseball in Cincinnati every year. I like that. I, I, I wish they would go back to that. I really do. I wish there'd be like a one day uh, opening day in Cincinnati every year, and then the next day is when every team plays, uh, except for Cincinnati and whoever they're playing, uh, and sort of make this like a, a special opening day the way they used to. Now with the, you know, somebody starts two weeks before the season even begins, and and then who knows even the schedule, and Cincinnati's not even a special one anymore. For me, I don't know. How do you feel? How do you feel about opening day? Um. I... The same thing. I mean, I never like the the Cincinnati opening day tradition is one of those things that I'm not sure I was even aware of until maybe I was in my 20s, even though it had been going on forever and ever. But like, it's it's just weird to have the like the start of the season happen a out of Cincinnati, b on another continent, and c like a week and a half before the rest of the season starts. <laughs> and I understand like you got to do something about travel, but I feel like there has to be a more practical way to do it. You still do the original opening day tradition and then you build some kind of off day, you know, thing into the two team schedules who are going over to, to Tokyo. Yeah. It's, it, it, it's weird. It's a really weird thing, but that said, we are about to, to really truly start the season and uh, your Yankees have had, I would call it, a very bizarre uh, off season for the Yankees. Not not a great uh, off season. Well, no, I, that part's good, but I think it's been <laughs> it's been weird. It's been a weird off season because 
you know, I mean, it's been a weird off season anyway. And, and I think that this is going to be true from, from here going forward. Uh, free agency clearly is not going to be the thing that it's been. Uh, it, it looks like if you are a good player who goes into free agency, which I don't even know how many times that's going to happen anymore. You're seeing, you're seeing players line up now to sign long-term contracts so they don't have to deal with free agency. But those that do, it doesn't look like you're going to get signed till February, no matter what. It's very odd. But here's here to me is the is the thing. And 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 as a Yankee fan, I'm I'm very curious how you feel about this. So the Yankees always represented something, something that we hate on this show, but it was still something. And that was that the Yankees were going to be in on the biggest stars all the time. They were going to get more than their share of those biggest stars. They they were going to sort of represent this Broadway-esque feel. They were going to be, you know, it was you were not going to go to Yankee Stadium and not see stars. And yes. of course, the Yankees are filled with stars. It's it's not like they needed to sign anybody. I mean, they've they've got Aaron Judge and they've got Giancarlo Stanton and they've got, you know, they've got stars galore. I'm not I'm not saying that they're in some way, you know, lacking. However, wasn't it weird to see an offseason with two uh, well, more than two, but at least two mega stars, and then several other sort of pretty big stars, and the Yankees go after none of them. Wasn't that odd? Uh, it was kind of terrible from my point of view. It was very <laughs> frustrating because for several reasons. Um, one, the Yankees spend, I think, either the same or even a slightly lower uh, percentage of their revenue on the team now. Like they spend a lower percentage of the revenue on the team now than they did 15 years ago. Right. It's like they've just really drawn a hard line. They're just sort of pocketing a lot of money, it seems to me, obviously without being able to look in their books. Uh, and two, how often do you have a superstar be- and a genuine superstar, not just a really good player, but like one of the very best of the best players in baseball, become right. a free agent at the age of 26, which means right. you're signing them for their peak years and even the sort of easier part of the decline phase. How many times does one of those guys come on the free agent market, let alone two in the same year, either or both of which the Yankees could have used, either or both of which the Yankees could have afforded, and instead Manny Machado is in San Diego and Bryce Harper is in Philadelphia? Very odd, very odd, and and look, they're both they're both weird in the sense of that Machado sort of kind of fit exactly what the Yankees need, right? Yes. It's like a shortstop third baseman who can hit, and who's who's a terrific player, who's young. I mean, that's clearly they're going to have to figure out what to do with Andahar at third. They don't really have a shortstop going into the season. Uh, it, that just seemed like a perfect fit. But I'm even more blown away by the Harper thing because I mean hadn't we all written that off already like yep. five years ago everybody said that he was, I mean he wanted to be a Yankee he was like he grew up idolizing Mickey Mantle he was going to be a Yankee the Yankees were going to sign him supposedly everything that was done uh over the last three years of getting under the salary cap was to go after Harper he was there for the taking clearly I mean he he, he was just dangling out there I don't think he really wanted to sign in Philadelphia. What the heck happened there? 
Giancarlo Stanton happened. Um, yeah, like, I don't the, – the team did not expect to be trading, you know, for Giancarlo Stanton for basically nothing, including the, the Marlins paying them money to take yeah, Giancarlo Stanton off their hands. Don't, don't, don't bring that up again. Yeah. yeah, that's true. That's all right. So, that's like, basically, true. I think whatever money the Steinbrenner brothers earmarked for Bryce Harper once they got under the luxury tax – went to Stanton and once they got Stanton they decided you know what we don't want to do anything else but it's really like they spent years and years sort of like almost brainwashing the fan base on the need uh for austerity on the need for like less spending yeah. less of the old George Steinbrenner way it's like getting under the luxury tax itself was viewed as this big goal at a time when like last year's team you know, should have been competing for the World Series and they made the playoffs, but like they could have done more things and they didn't do them because they were trying to duck under that tax line. And most of the fan base was on board with it. Like they, you know, we you talk all the time about how fans are weirdly pro-management and anti-player. Yeah. This was yeah. that to a ridiculous degree. Like fans were convinced that they didn't want the New York Yankees to spend money. <laughs> and a part of that was because we all believed you know, the idea is they'll get under the tax, and once they do that, oh my God, they're going to go so crazy. They're going to sign right. Harper, or they're going to sign Machado, or they're going to sign both. They're they're both? Gonna sign Patrick right. Corbin, they're going to sign everybody. You know, Brian Cashman in the offseason you know, said, like, we're not a fully functional Death Star quite yet, or something along those lines. And again, giving the impression that they're about to be the Death Star again, and yeah. no. And they, you know, no. they they traded for Paxton. They did a few things. They signed Troy Tulowitzki, who's our starting <laughs> shortstop right now, as opposed to Manny Machado or Glaber Torres. Uh, it's just the team will be fine. They will still be one of the wild cards. They could jump ahead of Boston to win the division for the first time in a number of years. But like when you're the New York Yankees and these guys are available and all it costs you is money, there is no excuse not to do it. I think that's right. And and it's so weird because we're coming at this obviously from, from very, very different points of view since you're coming at it from a Yankee fan and I'm coming at it as a Yankee hater. But I have to say, I think I totally agree with you in the sense of I, if, if the Yankees are not the ones out there spending insane amounts of money and having it either, either come together spectacularly or blow up spectacularly, I don't know what they are. Yeah, I, I because I don't want the Steinbrenner uh, kid uh, to make money. That is totally irrelevant to me. I don't care. I never have cared. I mean, that was the, what I never blamed the Yankees for was being out there just trying to cash in. Like that, like that was never the point. The point always was, uh, hey, they were going to spend whatever it took to build these all-star teams of superstar players. They were going to try to drown everybody else in baseball with, with the power of the, of the New York Yankee, you know, that, that the, the pinstripes and the, and the NY and, and, and all of those things that represent uh, horror to, to the rest of us and Yankee pride to, to you. That was what the Yankees were. And, yep. and here was an off season where they needed to go insane. I, I was almost going to be disappointed if they only signed one of them. I mean, it was like this. This was where the Yankees just went, okay, guess what, everybody? Bye-bye. And just destroy everybody. Sign Harper, sign Machado, get Paxton, get everybody, and just completely leave everybody behind and remind everybody that life isn't fair and the Yankees are going to dominate. And I was sort of embracing that as a as a baseball fan. Um and then they did this weird offseason where 
they sort of made a few little moves here and there and get Paxton and whatever that, okay, fine. And, and there's look, they're really, really good. And they just came off of a year where they led, you know, they set the record for home runs and you know, they'll probably hit more home runs this year than they did last year. And all of those things are still true, but I don't know what they are anymore. I, I don't, I don't get it. It's, it's, it's very, very strange. And, and it clearly is a sign of a team that's like, yeah, we want to, we want to win sort of conventionally. We don't want to be the Yankees the way everybody's known what the Yankees are. And and there's a part of it that like, they keep talking about, Oh, you know, we got bit by the Ellsbury contract by some of these other contracts. We don't want to oh, do that please. again. Like, because you were too, you were stupid enough to sign Jacoby Ellsbury for that contract. <laughs> like Manny Machado at age 26 at a position of need is very different from signing Jacoby Ellsbury at the time that you did. And, you know, and then you would hear these media reports of, Oh, they've decided they want to wait a year and get Nolan Arenado and leaving aside the question of what like Machado is younger uh Arenado plays in Colorado we could debate all day whether which guy is better in a vacuum but one's younger one's not one was a free agent and one wasn't for a year and oh by the way he just signed an extension and so did every other pending free agent for the next several years there's never going to be another free agent again this this could be the last great free agent class in Major League Baseball history, and the Yankees sat it out other than signing DJ LeMahieu. Yeah, that's right. No, that's I. you've nailed it to point. I, unless the game fundamentally changes, players are not going to put themselves through this again, especially when there's so much money out there. I mean, look, look, at, look at the Trout deal. Look at the Arenado deal. Why would those guys go to free agency? There's no reason to go to unless they're unless they're unhappy where they are. There's no reason to go into free agency and deal with that sort of nonsense. Uh, I think this was a, a bruising, bruising free agency, particularly for Harper. And I, 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 it's like I said, who are what are the Yankees now? What are they? And and there's there's a part of me that thinks, and and I I sort of get it. I remember when Theo Epstein was with the Red Sox, uh, and and uh, there was there was this sort of sense that he gave that he didn't like the fact that the Red Sox had so much uh, to work with from a from a financial standpoint. Like he didn't he wanted to be able to beat everybody else fairly, right? He wanted to be yeah. able to like beat them by having the best farm system, by by making the shrewdest moves, by making the the the, the moves that don't. Uh, you know, cost you a whole lot. And they did. And they won, you know, the 2007 World Series with a really young sort of homegrown team for the most part. Uh, and then they started going the tank and they and they went crazy. And they're the first ones to give, uh, you know, Carl Crawford and, and Adrian uh, Gonzalez and those guys these enormous contracts that totally destroyed. And then Theo left. And and, you know, and, and he went to Chicago and tried to build it the right way, which he did. And now they're running into that situation where, uh, they sat this out too. And you're like, what are you guys doing? Are you guys just gonna, you guys gonna just, you know, let this thing fall apart, which I think they are doing. So I, it's like I say, it's really more of a character issue where I do wonder if the Yankees are like, oh, we're gonna, we, we're smarter than everybody else. We're gonna win conventionally. We're gonna win the way we, we're not gonna, we're not gonna go and just sign the best players and, and dominate like the old Yankees did. We're gonna win it a whole different way. And one, they might not. I, I mean, I don't think they're in particularly good position to do that. I don't think that pitching staff is necessarily gonna hold up. And two, 
Uh, do any of us want to hear them complaining because they made a couple of bad contract signings? I mean, what? So, yeah. so, so, so ownership only made, you know, $50 million instead of 45, I mean, uh, or 65 or whatever. I, I mean, it's, it's absurd. And, and I don't know. I, I just wonder as a Yankee fan, how much do you like this team going in? I like the team because I love Aaron Judge. I love, sure. you know, um, I love Severino when he's back healthy. Didi Gregorius, you know, Stanton. You worried? Wait a minute, wait a minute. You worried? You worried about uh, Severino? You have to be a little uh, bit. A little bit. I mean, he's he's definitely had some injury problems here and there. Um, and th- just th- this spring training has been pretty brutal between him, Hicks, you know, the back problem keeps sticking around. There's just a whole bunch of like relatively important players on the team, including the staff ace who are not going to be active when the season starts. So that's not great on top of this off season being so weird, but I like a lot of the players on this team. I really do. That's sort of the advantage of having a relatively homegrown team. I'm also perfectly happy with Giancarlo Stanton. I, I know that he's always going to be treated as sort of a rod to judges Jeter. Uh, and that's not fair, but that's, it is what it is with the fan base. I like these guys. I like the team. I just feel like you're the New York Yankees. You're so close. Two years ago, we were a game away from going to the world series And, you know, we're not exactly going backwards, but we're not doing everything we possibly can. Like, championship windows do not stay open forever. This is a team that could win a title right now. Why do you not do everything you can to maximize that? I'm frustrated with ownership. I still like the guys on the field. I'm happy that you're frustrated, though. That does that does make me (laughs) a a little bit happy. And 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 I'm also happy when I look because look I look at the Yankees team and and you know, we talk about how much better they would have been with Harper or with Machado or whatever they're they're going to be fine I mean there there there's no question when you've got Judge and you got Stanton and you got Andahar and you got uh, Torres and you got you know uh, I mean Sanchez probably at some point is going to have a big huge rebound year Yes um, I believe that. Th- I do. I mean, I'm, I I don't know that I'm totally buying Luke Voigt, but but whatever. I mean, they're going to score plenty of runs. Uh, that bullpen still is just absolutely loaded with 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 crazy good pitchers. Although we'll see how much longer Chapman holds out and and all that. But and that rotation is not good. It's not good. I, I mean, I guess it could be Severino comes back healthy. It's fine. Tanaka. Severino sort of finds Tanaka his- is a very good one, two, three. Very good. Eh, good. It's, it's, it's okay. It's not great. <laughs> I, I, well, those three guys could be really, they could It absolutely this. They are in a position where it could be good. If Severino's healthy, if Tanaka's, you know, sort of, sort of refines himself, if Paxton uh, can build off of what he did last year, although it's a different kind of ballpark for him. Um, it could be good. It doesn't have to be good at all. And, you know, I mean, things go bad, that could be a real weakness on that team. And with the old Yankees, what you would say is, so what? They'll just go out and they'll trade for, you know, Zach Greinke and two other guys. But I don't think this new Yankees team is going to do that. I think this this new Yankees team seems quite uh, quite pleased with wild cards and and uh, and, and <sighs> sort of hoping things work out. That's That's got to be really frustrating for you. And, and meanwhile, Mike Schur and every other Yankee hater who listens to this podcast right now is just like rolling their eyes and grinding their teeth, listening to me, the entitled Yankee fan, complain that like, <laughs> they didn't sign every free agent. That's right. That's what. That's why we had you on is to complain about that. To embody so the that, stereotype. Yep. 
Well, no, no. So that other Yankee fans who listen to this, which always shocks me that any Yankee fan listens to this, but other Yankee fans who listen to this nod and go, thank you. That's right. That's how I feel. And the rest of us can all just hate the Yankees again. That's really the, the goal of this podcast is to get people to realize it's baseball season, which means it's time to pull out your Yankee hating t-shirts again and just go at it. And that's that's why you're here and and you're doing an excellent job. I'm happy to be the sin eater of the podcast. How how good do you think the Red Sox are going to be this year? Um, really good. They step back. I mean, well, I mean, do they step back? It dep- it dep- I mean, the-, the bullpen is the is the big question there with them. Right. But right. you know, I, I having spent the last 20 years watching what has happened to Boston sports. You know, I will never, ever count out any Boston sports team, you know, until they are dead, dead, dead. They're not going to be dead. But I'm saying, but they're coming off a year where you could make a pretty good argument. They were as good as any team we have seen in the last, you know, since, since your Yankees were, were dominating every year. Yes. They were, they're, they're 98 Yankees level good. And, and, you know, they, they, the bullpen is, even last year, the bullpen was a bit of a question, and now, of course, it's even a little bit more of a question. But how how much do they step back, or do they step back at all? I mean, are they are they that good? Run away with the division, good? You know, roll through the World Series, good? Or are they? You know, they'll be good, but they'll still have to fight with the Yankees pretty hard to, to win the division, and then it's a wild card. You know, it's it's always a wild card. What the well, I mean, are. like. Did Mookie Betts have a Mike Trout level season as a fluke or because he is now coming into his own and he's now going to be, you know, mini Mike Trout for a few years? Yeah, I think he's going to be mini Mike Trout because I mean, it, it wasn't he had a Mike Trout season three years ago. Yeah. And and then had like a one of those seasons that was sneaky good, but because it wasn't as good as the year before, people kind of looked at it as a disappointment. And I think he looked at it as a disappointment. And then he came back and was even better, was like really, truly on the Mike Trout level. I think I think that's who he is. I, well, I mean, I think he. Don't you think? No, I, I think you're probably right. Which means, like, I have a hard time seeing them taking that much of a step back. You know who I think could step back? I, I think he's still going to be really good. But you know, who I think could step back is JD Martinez. I, I mean, that's he had a crazy, crazy year last year. I mean, yeah, crazy. but, but, but we used to we used ground. to say that about Ortiz. Like when Ortiz went from Minnesota to Boston, like every year it's like he can't keep this up, and he just did, and he did, and he did, and now he's going to go into the Hall of Fame. Well, I'm not. That could absolutely happen to JD Martinez. I'm just saying I don't know that he's going to hit 330 with 43 home runs again. I'm, yeah. I'm saying he could step back a little bit. The way you, um, the way you and Mike feel about the Yankees is the way I have come to feel about the Boston Red Sox. That must feel so it's weird. It's a very freaky Friday situation. So <laughs> it really is. That really must feel weird. I mean, how many years would you say you would look at the Red Sox sort of as that? as that little brother who was never going to beat you at basketball. Basically up through 2003 and through the first three <laughs> games of the 2004 ALCS until... You, you didn't even see them as a threat. You weren't even worried no, about I, th- that, I, I think I told you this story one of the first times I was on the podcast. Like, I was listening to one of the to the third game, feeling sorry for the Red Sox, and I kind of <laughs> said under my breath, you know what, it wouldn't be so bad if they won just one for the poor Boston sports fans. And what the hell was I thinking? How dare I ever (laughs) say such a thing out loud? How dare I even think such a thing? Because look at everything that's happened since I said those stupid words. That's what that's when when uh, Mike said that about the Yankees last year, and and I said it would last about a week, and I don't think it lasted a week. It lasted like like two two days. days. 
Yeah, he, he sent me a text like two days later, literally complaining about the Yankees. But that was one of his like, you know, this this season has been so glorious. I can deal with any. No, you can't. You can't. It's baseball season again. And it's time for us to hate the Yankees and and fairly time for you to hate the, the, the uh, Red Sox. But do you hate the Mets? No. Do you care about the Mets? I have friends who root for the Mets, and to, on, on that <laughs> level, I want them to be happy, and I feel bad that they have suffered so much misery because I root for a couple of different, at the moment, cursed New York franchises, so I know what it's like. Well, I don't know that. T- tell me a little bit about that. Who, 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 I, I, what teams do you mean? Uh, well, one of them is the New York Knicks, and that's <laughs> that's a whole other thing. But the other is the New York Football Giants. And Ooh, jo- jo- tell me about them. Well, Joe, I remember uh, a couple of podcasts ago, appearance-wise, you asked me a question uh, regarding your Cleveland Browns. Do you remember what that was? Oh, yes. Uh, what, what was that question? I, I believe you asked me if I was ready to start rooting for the Cleveland Browns. Right. Um, you you want to ask me that again? Yes. Are you ready to start rooting for the Cleveland Browns? Yes, I am, Joe Posnanski. <laughs> yes, I am. Come aboard and tell us what was the – because I'm very curious about this. What was the turning point for you? Uh, it, was, it was the moment when the New York football giants traded, you know, one of the best <laughs> wide receivers in football to the Cleveland Browns for a mid-first-round pick and a really lame third-round pick and Jabril Peppers. <laughs> I love the fact that in order to get Odell Beckham Jr., they had to trade, uh, you know, sort of a, a, you know, they traded a couple draft picks um, and Jabril Peppers. It's like, like that trade couldn't have come through if, if they hadn't gotten Jabril Peppers. That was the key in the deal for them. That's, I just, I love that they were like, oh, you want like three draft picks? No, no, two draft picks and Jabril Peppers. That's oh. what we want. So, um, yeah, no, that, I mean, look, I, I, I've i written about it. Uh, I believe we've even exchanged a couple of uh, texts about it. Uh, that was a glorious, glorious moment for, uh-huh. for me as a Browns fan, not just because the Browns got um, uh, OBJ and, and what that could mean conceivably. I mean, it, it doesn't have to work. We know that. It really doesn't. I mean, that's the, the, the crazy thing about football is the Browns look like everything is going up. Everything is, is heading in the right direction. It doesn't have to work. Sure. Uh, you know, there's lots of things that can happen, including injuries, but even just regular, you know, guys declining, they don't quite fit, they don't work out with each other, you know, whatever. How, that said, could not be more excited about where they're going. But at the same time, the other thing that made me really, really happy, and I, I, I don't like this for you, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that the Giants kind of became the Browns. It was, it was oh. a very... It was a great moment as a Browns fan because as a Browns fan, all you ever saw was how is – anytime the Browns did anything, any move, your thought was how is this going to turn into a disaster? Because you knew it would. It, it yes. didn't matter like whoever they drafted, whatever coach they hired, whatever GM they hired, uh, whatever coordinator they hired, whatever quarterback they decided to go after, uh, it was going to be a disaster. And you knew that. And so the only real question you had was, well, how is that going to happen? And when when the Giants traded OBJ, clearly what you saw was another team with that with that sort of negative <sighs> vibe where it's like, how is this going to turn to a disaster? And, you know, look, I, I can't feel sorry for you. The Giants have given you a lot of a lot of great, great, great sure. uh, moments over even the last decade. So it's not like I'm going to feel bad, but. It's not looking good right now. It's not we are like our general manager is like uh, 
you know, a time traveler from the year 1983. It's, uh, and they're, and they're all like in the tank for Eli Manning. It's, oh my, it's just so terrible. Like, I go back to that moment when Bob McAdoo, Ben McAdoo, not Bob McAdoo, Ben McAdoo benched Eli Manning not to play like the Giants rookie third round pick, but, right. but oh my God, it's just like, yeah, it's, everyone, it's an amazing everyone, thing. But everyone got so upset about it that because of that, it's like the Giant, the Giants were ready to move on from Eli and the fan base rebelled so much because they dared bench him for Geno Smith. That like <laughs> Giants management freaked out. It's like okay, well you know we we've got to bring in a general manager and a coach who will who will insist that we keep playing Eli. And so they did this like charade of a general manager search where they bring in a guy who previously worked for them because the Giants never go outside the family. They're just such like an inherently conservative organization. And just Gettleman's like, all right, well you know. Here's the best quarterback draft in 10 or 15 years. We have the number two overall pick. It's the year 2018, and we're going to take a running back. And Saquon Barkley is really fun to watch. He's really good. He is. He's good. There's, like, every – you do not take a running back with the number two pick in 2018 when you need a quarterback, and there are all these quarterbacks on the board other than the guy that your Browns were very smart enough to take. So yeah. – and just every decision they made, like – I already went through this with Phil Jackson and the Knicks. You sort of, you get this dinosaur executive who decides like, I think I don't want to do a rebuild. That's no fun for me. I think we can stay competitive while retooling a bit around the margins. And in both cases, they're like in favor of a really archaic offensive system for Phil Jackson. It was the triangle for Dave Gettleman is three yards in a cloud of dust. And like everyone else is playing chess and they're playing checkers. I, I hate it. I hate it so much, yeah, and, he, and he's not going to get fired this year. He will not get fired next year because next year they it'll be the first year where he will have his own quarterback, however he gets him. And then even the year after that, like, we're stuck with the Dave Gettleman era for a minimum of four years, and it was clear from day one that the guy didn't know what he was doing, and he's just kind of holding the franchise hostage. It is so frustrating. I, you know... I, I wish Odell – I want to see Odell Beckham make circus catch after circus catch after circus <laughs> catch for the Browns as they march all the way to the Super Bowl and, like, finally give, you know, the city of Cleveland its first football championship since 1960. 64. 64. But, yes. yes. Okay. 64. Nothing would make but yeah. nothing would make me happier than to see the Browns be amazing. Like, I'm almost rooting more for the Giants to be, like, terrible and the Browns to be awesome so that, like – Gettleman for schadenfreude <laughs> that I am for Gettleman to turn out to be like deceptively smart and the team to be good. I'm rooting against my own team because I hate the management team that much. Yeah. That's a Browns feeling. That's a, that's how, yep. that's how you would feel with the Browns. You would be like, oh, I want them to be good, but if they, if they're good, then Hugh Jackson will still be coach. Yes. And you know, it's, 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 there's, there's all of these different vibes that come with it. However, there's one other point I want to make, and then we need to go on to our draft. Yeah. Uh, about the Giants specifically, and this is something that I think is true across sports. When you are a fan of a team, you you begin to lose. I mean, you know that whole forest for the trees thing. You begin to lose like this sort of perspective. And I remember thinking about this with the Browns. Like with the Browns, it was with with Hugh Jackson. It was a weekly. Like, oh my gosh, Hugh Jackson, you know, they lost again. Oh my gosh, they lost again. And oh my gosh, they lost again. And you you would go through this thing uh, every week and he would come out and give the same 
ridiculous, you know, spiel about how he was turning things around and, and, and then you go on to the next week and next week and next week. And if you're not a Browns fan, or if you're not even, you don't care about the Browns as most people do not, you suddenly will wake up one day and you look and go, Oh my God, that guy's one in 31 as a coach. That's unbelievable. They brought back a guy who was one in 31 and just went Owen 16 as a coach. How, how in the world would they bring him back? But you don't see that as a Browns fan, you see it every week when you're seething every week, yes. but you don't see like that big picture. That's how it is with Eli Manning. I swear Eli Manning in my mind, I have not thought about Eli Manning since like four years ago. Like I, it, it astonishes me. He's still playing. It astonishes. It's like, like him and Peyton both, didn't they retire at the same time? And, like, and I, like, I love Eli because he won us these two yes, Super Bowls over the Patriots. Do. Of course but, like, you do. Come on. He's a hothouse flower. Now you, he, you've been hearing this for years. It's sort of like, <laughs> if we get him an offensive line and if we get him these weapons and if we like, if the conditions are absolutely perfect for Eli Manning <laughs> at age 30, whatever he is, you know, he'll be a pretty good quarterback. No, yeah. like get me, get me a young guy. Start over, start over. And there were few well, that's to the do thing. It. Like, well, that's the thing. That's like I'm saying, if you're not a Giants fan and you don't care about the Giants, or you don't follow the Giants and you don't have Eli Manning on your fantasy team, which, you know, hopefully you don't. Um you don't ever think about Eli Manning. And then you're like, Oh my God, they're still playing him. Like he's still there. That's it's like, as shocking as find out, finding out like the dolphins somehow are still playing Dan Marino. Like, <laughs> like how is this possible that Eli Manning is still the quarterback of the giants? Like I remember him from the super bowls all, all those years ago, but I, and, and that's to me like wonderful. It's wonderful. Uh. that as giants, You're still fighting a fight that like the rest of the country is like, moved on years ago from this thing. And, and as a Giants fan, you're still having to fight that fight. I love it. Uh, I'm, so, I'm so, so happy I can provide so much schadenfreude for you Brown, this you're week. You're a Brown fan now. We are, I am welcoming you. Michael, Mike wouldn't, Mike wouldn't do it, but Mike doesn't have this power as a Browns fan. Uh, I am welcoming you into the Browns family. Everybody who wants to come on the Browns bandwagon. I don't like it when people say, oh, I hate bandwagon fans. Sure. I hate bandwagon fans too, but not Browns bandwagon. You want to come on? There's plenty of room. We'd love to have you. We're just just come in, be a fan. We'll take you. Uh, we are we are here as a as a a home for all of those who, like Giants fans, uh, have lost faith. We're come come aboard. We'd love. To I'm have you. I'm really looking forward to my new life as a Cleveland Browns fan. Now, I'm sending you a shirt. Excellent. So just, just be ready for that. All right. We need to go on to our draft, and, and this is a very exciting draft. I like drafting things where I am by far the you know least qualified person in the draft. Um, so I am drafting against the, the preeminent television critic uh, of our time. We are drafting uh, Mad Men characters. And, um, and I want to just say why I'm doing this. And then, and then obviously you can talk a little bit about your own Mad Men experience. Uh, there are two reasons that, that I wanted to do this one, uh, years ago, I sent you a, a text as saying, I really want to, uh, binge watch a show. I had not binge watched a show in forever. And I asked you what shows, uh, I should binge watch. And you sent me like three of them, three or four shows. And at that point, the only show I'd ever seen that I guess would be in the, in the Zeitgeist um, was Sopranos. That was the only show I'd ever watched. So you had a, a complete 
uh, gamut of shows to choose from that you could have you could have sent me down uh, countless different roads. Uh, but you told me to watch Mad Men. That was one of the you actually said uh, two, which I saw both of them. Uh, eventually, I watched uh, Breaking Bad uh, and I watched Mad Men and uh, and loved it. And now my oldest daughter, Elizabeth, um, uh, she is watching Mad Men with me. So I am rewatching the show with Elizabeth um, and uh, which is very exciting. It's great to see it through her eyes. She has given me her list of people. Uh, to draft, so I'm going to probably go pretty much by her list. Um, but tell me what, tell me where Mad Men stands in the in the pantheon of of television. Um, I, when Matt and I did our previous book together, TV the book, where we ranked like the hundred best shows of all time, I believe Mad Men finished seventh, and Matt was a little annoyed with that. You know, he he would argue it it should have been a little higher. I think it's a really great show. It's definitely one of the ten best series ever made one of a handful of the best dramas ever made it's really extraordinary it is the closest thing we've had to the sopranos since the sopranos ended not for the mob violence but just sort of like for how dense it is for how how much time you can spend thinking about every little aspect of every episode it's that show was by far the most fun i ever had writing uh, about a show every episode of because I just I could go on forever about all of the things that happened in Mad Men. It's really wonderful. It has so many great characters. The fact that we're the fact that we're only doing five apiece, you know, in, in podcast tradition almost makes me sad because I'm not going to get to the really yes. like obscure people. But uh, I love Mad Men so much. I miss it. It's a great show. Such a great show. All right. Uh, and we will try for those of you that have not watched Mad Men, we will try to give a little bit of a background of why we are choosing each character. You have the first I pick. I do! Excellent! Alright, well, with my first pick, obviously, I'm gonna take Walter White um, from Breaking... No. <laughs> no. Um, with the first pick, I'm going to take Peggy Olsen. Wow. Wow. Going off the board for Peggy see, Olsen. Explain. Peggy Olsen is not going off the board. There are... Uh, Don, Dra- Don Draper is the main character of Mad Men, and he is a great character in and of himself. But if the show could be ha- said to have a 1A character, that is Peggy Olsen. She is my sure. favorite character on the show. She had the best character arc of the entire series. You know, at the very beginning of it, she's the mousy little secretary kind of, you know, shuffling into the the Sterling Cooper uh, offices, you know, we, you, very tentatively carrying her little box, not sure who to talk to, not sure how to act, just afraid of her own shadow practically. And by the end of it, she is, you know, once again, swaggering around with a cardboard box, but this time wearing sunglasses, a cigarette dangling, dangling out of her mouth, the tentacle porn <laughs> painting under her arm. It's just the, the, the voyage that she took from that first shot to that last shot is so amazing. My friend Phil Rosenthal, who I think you might know, the sports writer from Chicago, who has written about TV too, he always had this theory that he told me, which is Mad Men is secretly the Peggy Olsen story. Like, it's sort of – because Don doesn't really change all that much, and we can argue about what happens in the very last scene of the show. But Don Draper kind of makes attempts to change and then goes back to being the same screw-up he always is, and he's so magnetic and everything else. But Peggy, you get to go on a journey for, and I feel like the show has more sympathy for her than almost anybody else. And on a show where most of the characters are genuinely terrible people, uh, I talked to our friend Linda Holmes about my draft board, and she says, Alan, you realize most of the people you have there are monsters. Peggy (laughs) is not a monster. Peggy is great. I love Peggy Olsen. Uh, I'm so happy that I got the first pick because I worried since you were being influenced by your daughter, you might go with Peggy. So I got her. 
Well, yes. Well, and first of all, it's, a, it's, it's an excellent pick. And when I say going off the board, what I mean is uh, I told uh, Elizabeth that when we were putting this list together, I said, look, we, we always give uh, our guest host the first pick. He's going to take Don Draper. So where are we going from there? Because that was, it just seemed like that's, that's, you have to start by taking Don Draper. And I, we really didn't come up with a contingency plan if you did not take Don Draper. Um, but we're going to have to, we're just going to have to play off of that. Peggy is, is absolutely fabulous, but, but you can't, Don Draper is the pick. And so, so we are, we're going to take Don Draper with the first pick, uh, our first pick. um, And, you know, look, your, your points are hundred percent right. However, the show's arc in, in my view and in the view of our daughter is this sort of losing effort that Don Draper uh, is on to become a better person. This, this, this losing uh, fight that he has, which to me is, is sort of the essence of the show. The show is all of these terrible people um, who have so many flaws and some of them um, are really on a journey to try to become better people. Most of them are not. Don is, it's very clear that Don goes through stretches of time where he does try to become faithful, where he does try to become a better uh, friend, where he does try to uh, do the right thing, which he does. And every time he does do something, you know, good, you, you feel like, Oh, here it is. You know, this is, this is the moment we can, we can, uh, we can, you know, feel the same feelings that we have for ourselves Hey, we're trying to become, and here's a success. We've made it. We actually did something. We became a better person. We, we, we changed somebody's life. We made somebody's life better. And then the next week he just goes back to being even worse than he was before. (laughs) And, and, and that's the show's arc. And it's, and it's an incredible arc and it has to be said, I don't know. And, and, you know, look, you, you, I know that you did discuss this in TV, the book and, and, and it's something I'm sure you think about a great deal of time. It's hard to be better at at anything than John Hamm is at playing Don. Oh, Trump. he's so great! I, I, it, it's so it's impossible. I mean, and of course, all of the acting. I mean, these these shows would not work. I mean, Sopranos wouldn't have worked. Mad Men and uh, Mad Men wouldn't have worked. And Breaking Bad wouldn't have worked. And and all the shows that people love wouldn't have worked if the actors weren't magnificent. But that character, there is there is I cannot imagine anybody else pulling off that character um and you know i think that's the that's the essence and obviously if somebody else had played it it would just be a different character that's how good john ham is only john ham could be that don draper and and just fantastic no he's wonderful and absolutely like if you had taken peggy or whatever like i would have been perfectly happy to get don draper as well he is a wonderful character and ham is so good and so quotable and charismatic and funny and scary and sad and everything else. He, he is amazing. All right. Very good. You've got your second pick. And now the whole board has been thrown off because I had a very specific first pick in mind and I might not get my first pick, but, but okay. we'll see. How oh, so goes. you would, you would not what? have taken Peggy if I had taken Tom. That's interesting. I, that's uh, we shall see. Right, uh, with we my second see. pick, I'm going to take Joan Holloway Harris. Uh, <laughs> see that you screwed up the whole board. My whole board is screwed up. Yeah. Now. 
All right. Uh, I'm all having right. a good draft. Tell us about Joni. Tell us about Joni. Uh, Joan is great. As play again, again, the performances are so important. Christina oh. Hendricks as Joan, who you meet her. She is sort of the, you know, the curvaceous, charismatic, super confident uh, head secretary at, at Sterling Cooper. And she is, you know, originally kind of showing Peggy the ropes and seems a bit like a mean girl, but she knows exactly who she is and exactly what she wants. And again, by the end of the series, she is a completely different person from the one you met originally. And like in, in terms of recapturing the coolness of the 60s, I think Hendrix was at least as important as John Hamm was in terms of just getting the iconography of like what it was like to basically be awesome in the year 1960. Uh, and she's wonderful. Again, so quotable. She went through a lot of difficult things too. The the show made her suffer a fair amount, which was always kind of a bummer, but she came out the other end quite okay. And uh, I just love thinking about her story and thinking about many scenes. And there's one scene in particular where she, it's the episode with the lawnmower where she and Don are in the emergency room afterwards and they're talking <laughs> yes. and I'm like, I'm watching the scene and I'm thinking, Oh my God, I don't, I want nothing more in my entire life than to see Don Draper and Joan Holloway hook up. Uh, and the show was, <laughs> and the show very wisely never did it. They understood that like we all wanted it and it was going to deny us that because it, it would never live up to our imagination. And so each of them went back off on their separate journeys and they occasionally interacted and that was that, but Man, I loved watching Joan. Yeah. Well, okay. So Joni was gonna be our first pick. Okay. Uh you were gonna take Don Draper, we we're gonna take Joni. Admitting admittedly, this would have given you both Don Draper and Peggy, which would which which gives yeah. you a substantial advantage. But I think Joni is the best character on okay. the show. I, I I really do. And 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 here's well, and again, it, obviously putting Don Draper and Peggy in sort of a separate category. She's she is put through hell on that yes. show. Absolutely put through hell. But she she's so much stronger a character than you ever suspect. Yep. And that's I love that. I love that element of you see her at the beginning and and because of the way she looks and because of the way she sort of acts early on, you underestimate her constantly and she's always comes through in a much much bigger way and you kind of nailed what I think is sort of the to me, everybody will talk, and they should, about the relationship between Peggy and 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 Don, and and it's it's a fantastic sort of mentor, you know, relationship that sort of turns on its head at the end. But the relationship between Don and Joan is remarkable, and and they don't play it up very much at all. One, they never hook up. Obviously, yeah. that's the case, and there's so many opportunities for them too. And she's always sort of sort of teasing about that. She's always talking about how handsome he is and and all of that. And there's like, it's very, very funny the way that, that they are about that. Um, there's no reason for them not to hook up. Like with Peggy, you know, Don sort of sees her as, as his protege and whatever. But with, with Joan, considering the kind of person Don is, it's stunning that they never hook up. And, and it's, it's beautiful in this. There's like a, 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 they bring something good out of each other, which is really, really cool. And my favorite episode is the one where um, they break away from work and they go and, and look at a Jaguar and drive it around and then go. Um, and then they go to a bar together yes. and just kind of hang out. And it's just, it's so amazing to see those two sort of like, 
you know, struggling with the world and, and trying to make the best of it. And I, I just think she's an amazing, amazing character. She is my daughter's favorite character yeah. as well, which is why we had to get her. And then you took and, and the, so, the other thing um, I'm happy about my draft board so far is I have Joan and Peggy together because that was the other relationship that everyone was rooting for. That was, was a great relationship for too. them to yes. be friends. And they never really were like, they always came close right. and then one of them would screw <laughs> it up every time, you know, all the way through to the end. And it was like, it was, it was right there and they never happened. And I, I kind of love that about the show, even though I was rooting for them to become buddies. Yes, it's 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 wonderful. All right, well that's a that's a good pick because you stole our pick. So now we have to start taking some terrible people. So with our with our second pick, uh, my daughter and I are going to take Roger Sterling. Oh, good one. Roger is a just a terrible, terrible person, <laughs> but could not be more charming. Could not be funnier. Could not be more sort of. He he's like he's that terrible person that you really want to be friends with anyway, yes. even though, you know, like that he's, that he's not a good person. He's, it's really funny because, you know, my daughter is, is, uh, you know, 17 years old. And, and so she's watching these people, you know, and she has mentioned on several occasions, just how charming, uh, Roger Sterling is, you know, and like, there's like a, there's, there's something about him that she just sees as being, uh, you know, somehow, I mean, he's, he's just handsome and suave and like from another time. And he represents sort of this, this man's man in a, in a weird sixties way. And it would be something that as a 17 year old, uh, girl in, in, in today's world, she would be utterly offended by in, in so many ways as she should be. But yet there's something also that draws him to you because he is so charming and he is so funny. Um, He's, you know, he's not a guy you root for, but he's a guy that you just are so happy every time he shows up. So with our second pick, we're going to take Roger is fantastic. He would have been my next pick. So you've, you've stole him out from under me. Turnabout is fair play. John Slattery, yes. like uh, he is one of the, like one of the great comic performances. Every line out of his mouth was gold to get, to go back to, to go back to the lawnmower episode, you know, guy, guy gets his foot cut off by the lawnmower and everyone's thinking about it afterwards. <laughs> and someone says, God, they, I hear he might lose his foot. And Roger says, right when he got it in the door too. <laughs> like Roger always had the perfect line for every moment. And they could, he could also, they could do some serious things. And the, the relationship he had on and off with Joan over the years was really well chronicled and very smart. I love Roger and I wish I could have taken him, but you know, Godspeed Joe. Well, but here's the thing about Roger and, and you know, as, as a television writer who has seen this over and over and over again, I think one thing that's very, it seemed clear to me that in the writer's room, whenever they came up with like a, with like an incredibly brilliant comeback line that you would have to think of in one second, yeah. they gave it to Roger because he was the one guy who could pull it off that you would believe that he could actually have thought of that line in one second. Like who would think of like just what he got it in the door in like an instant, like only the, the, you have to, you have to be something as an actor, I think in order to, for, to convince people that, this line wasn't fed to you by, you know, a room full of writers that you came up with it off the top of your head. And, and I think that is John Slattery. I think he's just that good an actor. Yeah. When Matt and I were interviewing David Chase for the Sopranos book, at one point we started talking about uncle junior and why he was allowed yeah. to live basically after what he did in the first season. And Chase said, 
Uncle Junior was everybody on the writing staff's favorite character to write for <laughs> because we just loved the things we could have him say. And yeah. you could tell that like Roger Sterling was the same way for the Mad Men writers. Excellent. All right. Third pick. All right. Third pick. Um, There's I'm going to go with people left. See, but that's where you're wrong because I'm going to take Sally Draper. Ugh. All right. Go ahead. Wait, 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 wait. Are you going to speak ill of Sally Draper now? No, I'm not going to speak ill. You don't speak ill of children, but, <laughs> but, uh, but okay. Continue. Why do you love Sally Draper? Okay. Well, for a couple of reasons. One, you know, just as a, a veteran, as a veteran television watcher, the idea that they could cast this little girl, Kiernan Shipka entirely because she looks adorable and like she could be the child of John Hamm and January Jones, like not knowing if she's going to be any talented at all. And, like, for her to become as good as she was by the end of that show and for the show to be able to keep going back to Sally over and over in the last few seasons is kind of a miracle. That's fair. But beyond that, just I love, like, the idea, like, of getting to see the story from multiple generations. And ordinarily in a lot of of stories, Sally would be the main character. It would be the boomer story of, like, the kid who grows up in the 60s and starts starts to become a hippie and listening to the music and experimenting with drugs and everything else. And Mad Men was largely about the generation before that, but we still get these little peaks of it. And we get to see the effect that having these two terrible parents has on her. And for the most part, when the show came to an end, I was like, I was going to miss it. I was felt it was over. The only two characters I felt I would ever want to see another story about were one Peggy Olsen and like Peggy in middle age, just sort yeah. of dominating the advertising industry in like the late seventies, or early eighties. And I would like to see Sally as an adult still played by Kieran and Chipka, just kind of following her. I really enjoyed watching that character and seeing her grow and just feeling just such great sympathy for her with all that she had to put up with from the, these two knuckleheads who had no business being her parents. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So look, the, the, the actress was fantastic. She was great and, and she did grow. And I, I, I just, it just seemed like a lot of times that they, she, her storyline was just not that interesting to, to us. Uh, <sighs> later on when she got a little bit older, it was different. Um, and it was, it's so painful because look, we all know what a terrible person Don is and how, you know, how self-centered he is and so on and so forth and whatever. But it was painful to watch just how bad a mom Betty Draper was just painful to watch how terrible a, a, a mother she was. So that was, I don't know that I didn't enjoy that as much, but I do see what you're saying. And I think that's an excellent pick. And I will also say as we go forward, um, they're not that many great picks. I mean, they're great picks. They're like super fun picks, but they're not many good people left on the show. Like people yeah. that you would consider to be, to be good people. So, uh, so I think that's, uh, I think that's, that's, that's fine. I think that's a fine pick. All right. So you're going to have to take somebody rotten next. I suspect who's it going to be. Well, I, I see. That's the thing. It's like, I've got a bunch of rotten people on here and, and I think I'm going to take uh, some rotten people, but I almost feel like I need to take a good person uh, <laughs> just, just to be able to balance it out, just to be able to, to like do something that's going to make this uh, uh, thing feel like a little S- bit. Save, save it for your fifth pick. I don't think I've got any good people left. So you're, <laughs> you're safe. Just take whoever you want, Joe. I'm, I'm here for you. All right. So you don't think so. If you're not taking any, any good people, I am going to save it for my fifth pick with my third pick. I'm going to go with an extremely minor character for reasons that people on this podcast will appreciate. 
I am going to take Conrad Hilton. With oh, my, uh, Connie, pick. he was on my board. <laughs> I think I might have taken him next, actually. That was good. Yeah. Connie Hilton was played uh, by Chelsea Ross, who is uh, one of my favorite. And I think anybody who loves sports movies, uh, one of your favorite uh, actors that you've seen. Chelsea Ross was the townie in Hoosiers. He was the uh, the sort of Gaylord Perry-esque pitcher in Major League. Uh, he was there's several. Oh, he was like a scout in that terrible trouble with the curve movie but he was he was he was good in it uh i think there's several other sports movies that i'm just missing that he was in um and he plays conrad hilton in here who just happens to meet don in uh in like they're at a party and he just meets him in a bar and they they strike up a relationship and he plays i don't know what billionaires are like i don't know any billionaires i'm not i'm not in you know privy to to their lives but he plays what i imagine a billionaire is like just this very quirky seems to be nice really isn't uh somebody who will backstab you without even thinking about it later um but at this point seems to be interested kind of loses interest in things very quickly uh and their relationship between don and uh and and connie uh hilton uh, is fantastic i've never been able to see a hilton or stay at a hilton without thinking about Chelsea Ross is Conrad Hilton. So uh, my third pick, I'm taking Connie Hilton. All right. Uh, great pick. Like I said, he was on my board. I might have very well taken him third. Um, but uh, my favorite thing, and this was back when I, like several websites ago, when I think I had my own personal blog on Blogspot, I had such smart commenters that the first time Conrad Hilton appears, you don't even know that it's Conrad Hilton. He's just a guy right. at the same That's country right. club with Don. <laughs> and he's like, you know, hey, I'm Connie. I'm from such and such town in the in the Southwest. <laughs> and I remember a bunch of my commenters saying, that's got to be Conrad Hilton. That's Conrad <laughs> Hilton's hometown. And I read these comments like, oh, these guys are crazy. I don't know what this is. And a few episodes later, Don gets called in to meet Conrad Hilton. And sure enough, it's Chelsea Ross. And I'm like, I have the best readers in the world. They're much smarter than I am. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, there you go. So that's okay. my third pick to your fourth. All right. So I promised I wouldn't take another good person yet. So therefore, I have to stick to that. I have to stick to my word. And I'm going to take I don't like him, but he's just he's too good value at this stage of the draft. That's Pete Campbell. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a, a bad guy. He's a really bad guy. The, the thing with the <laughs> au pair alone is really yeah. terrible. Uh, but he there's just so many of the funniest moments on the show involve Pete. There's not great Bob. There's him <laughs> falling down the steps. There's him, um, you know, sucker punching the guy at the school and saying the king ordered it. I mean, <laughs> just Vincent Carthager's performance is so funny. It is good. And just and he's so good at playing this little weasel. And Pete also experienced some character growth. Um, and I th and I think the thing with the au pair was just the show screwed up, and they didn't realize that's how it was coming across. They they should have dealt with it, and they didn't, and that's a problem. It's one of the bigger flaws in the show. But overall, Pete is Pete is at the center of a number of my favorite moments in the entire series, including uh, Pete and Don sprinting to Burt Cooper's office to be the first to tattle to Burt Cooper about the Dick <laughs> Whitman thing. And they're like rushing to take off their shoes. Just there's a million of these moments, really funny character. And often, despite being a terrible weasel, much smarter and sort of more you know liberal than a lot of the guys on the show. So 
what the hell? I said I would take somebody bad. I will take the guy that Lane Price, you know, decked in the boxing match. Pete Campbell. Yes. Pete Campbell. Well, so Pete Campbell is my daughter. Uh, we were never going to take Pete Campbell, but my daughter has very mixed feelings about Pete because there was a stretch of time during the show where Pete did uh, appear to be growing. It did, you know, he, as you mentioned, he does have, uh, he, he's certainly further, you know, much further advanced in, in various sort of ideas about race and, and, and other things. And there was a time where my daughter would readily defend Pete. She had not, of course I had seen the whole series and she had not. And so we would get through season two or season three and she would talk about Pete being her favorite character. And I'd say, well, wait a minute. You haven't seen anything yet. Just, just give it a moment. And she's like, no, he, you know, I know he was, he was bad at the beginning, but you know, he's really grown and this, that, and the other. And then of course, then the, you know, several other things happen that uh, leads you to understand what a terrible, terrible person he is. Uh, but he is fascinating. He is a fascinating character. And, uh, you know, and, and again, and, and I think this is probably true for most of the, the great characters on Mad Men. If some other actor played it, it would be a different character. I mean, it's it, these, the, they seem to do a better job than just about anybody of blending the actor and the, and the character where, so the, so the character takes on some of the, you know, uh, I assume some of the characteristics of the actor. Yes. Um, so that if, if somebody else played Pete Campbell, he could be, he could be a, a really, you know, he could be a really bad character. He could do a lot of other things, but he wouldn't be this version of Pete Campbell. I don't think. Yeah. I, Pete, I hate him and yet I enjoy him so much. So I'm taking, <laughs> I took Pete Campbell. Excellent pick. All right. With my fourth pick, I am going to go ahead and, and take the one good guy left on my board that frees you up to choose whoever you want. Uh, I'm going to take Stan Rizzo. Oh, uh, Linda, Linda's going to be mad that I let you get Stan. She was pushing yeah. for me to take him. Stan is just, you want to talk about growth. It's not possible to have been more of a slime bag than Stan was as the show begins. Yes. And yet, as you watch Stan uh, very quickly, rather rapidly, but but in a very believable way, sort of develops a sort of a different kind of respect for for Peggy and and a different kind of respect for what he does. And he's hilarious. He's very, very funny. And as the show goes on, he just becomes a better and better and better person. And, and you realize that, and this is what I think is, is why Mad Men work so well. It's like, they don't cheat. They don't cut corners. They don't say one day the guy's a good guy and the next day he's a bad guy or, or vice versa. You have to see, they allow you to see sort of how the person is developing uh, as a, as a person. And with him, it's clearly, you know, one, he's, he sees how good Peggy is at her job. Two, he, it, it, it changes the way he, he views women in general. And, and he's, you know, he, he also gets to see the good and bad of Don and, and, and sort of takes what he, what he wants from that. Uh, so you really see the way he feeds off of these other characters and these other people to become a much more, uh, sort of well-rounded and 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 interesting person, and then by the end of the show, of course, he's fantastic. So I'm taking Stan with my fourth pick. Very good. Linda is like yelling at me right now on instant message about this. She's <laughs> like, Joe totally fooled you. You could have had this team of wonderful women and good guys, and instead you took Pete. So. <laughs> 
she's a hundred percent right. I totally conned you into like taking a bad guy with a third pick so that I could get uh, Conrad Hilton. And then I just went right for Stan. So there you go. All right. So with my fourth and final pick, I'm going to go back to the side of the angels with by far the best of all the Don Draper love interests. That's Rachel Menken played by Maggie yeah. Sifty, the department store Excellent. heiress from season one. So Excellent. good. Like the, the one person who like actually a lot of the times he would choose the these mistresses and girlfriends for very self-destructive reasons. She seemed like a really good match for him. Even the show seemed to understand that when he goes back to try, you know, he finds out about her at the very end of the series and realizes, like, that's who I should have been with. Shouldn't have been Megan. Shouldn't have been anybody else. You know, the only other remotely acceptable answer is Dr. Faye. But Rachel Megan was just a really good character who could go toe-to-toe with Dawn. Uh, but was also probably wise to get out of that world while she still could. Yeah, it's a good pick. It's really a good pick. I think you're right. I think if you're going to go with any of the love interests, uh, including his two wives, I think you've got to go with uh, with Rachel. I, I she's you know she's the one at the end that he that it's clear really throughout that she's the one that he regrets. Right? He's like he 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 is half of the show's sort of character is built around the fact he doesn't regret or at least he puts his regret in places where nobody can find them right that's (laughs) that's the deal he drinks them away and all of that but with her it's like this one thing that he still regrets she manages to put a a tremendous stamp on the show and very how many shows was she actually on i mean not Five, maybe was she? Not more than she's in pr- almost all of the she's first, in all season. first season, and then yeah, she pops yeah. up once or twice after that. But that's basically it. All right, with my fifth pick, I'm going to take somebody who is not a particularly great character, but uh, well, he's a great character. He's not a great person. In fact, not really even necessarily a good person. But he is somebody who grows, and he is somebody who has like some very strong redeeming qualities. Uh, so I'm going to take Ken Gosgrove with my fifth pick. Ah, oh, Kenny um, and his haircut. There you go. Kenny and his haircut and his eye patch. Kenny, <laughs> um, Kenny is Kenny starts off as a pretty obnoxious character that doesn't really stand out from all the other obnoxious characters uh, in the office. But then you find out that Kenny writes short stories of the side, so I think that's kind of cool. And and it turns out that he's kind of has sort of this even though he's in sales and in like the worst elements of, of making clients happy uh, there's, he has a little bit of the soul of the artist and that's pretty good. And then as time goes on, he seems to become a more decent person. He's, he's definitely still has the hard edge. He's definitely still more interested in himself than anybody else, but he becomes a little bit more decent person. And then uh, you know, by the end when, when he sort of has, has, starts wearing the eye patch and, and all of that. You just, there's a little bit of a pathetic nature to him, but yet, you know, he's still going on and still trying to live his life. And now there's a, there's a decent scope there, certainly for a, a, a relatively minor character. I think there's a guy that's a decent scope. And I found out uh, just this past week, uh, my daughter was telling me that he is the voice of uh, a video game, like LA Noir, I think is the video game he's the voice of it. And so she played that game and heard that voice and immediately knew it was Ken Cosgrove. And I thought that was pretty interesting that, that his voice would be that recognizable. So all those things said, uh, not thrilled with it, but it's a fifth round pick. He could, he could develop uh, under the right tutelage. Uh, I'm going to go with Ken Cosgrove. That's, 
Uh, I poor Ken. Like he, he's one of those characters. He was so close to being out there at the end, <laughs> and instead he chose revenge. And that's it's, it's almost more of a Sopranos storyline than it is a Mad Men storyline. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And 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 he is definitely. Um... But 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 there's a little bit behind there. I don't know. Maybe there isn't. Maybe there. Maybe I'm just seeing it. He's he's a charming guy, as as many on the show are. But I think that's a it's an excellent thing. We're going to let Linda, who is also going to be on the podcast uh, as a guest host shortly. I can reveal that, and uh, I'm going to let her decide who won this draft. Don't you think? Uh, I think that's a good idea. So yeah, when she comes on, you can <laughs> you can read her the picks, and she will declare you know rightly that I won. I don't think she's going to declare that. She's going to she's going to realize that by by sort of switching things around on you there, I I managed to pull out the victory. Uh, we'll we'll Plus, see after she listens because I completely flummoxed you with my first two picks. So yeah, you did. You totally threw it. Getting Joan, however you did that to manipulate it so that you got Joan was pretty smart <laughs> on your part. It really was. It really was. All right, time for one last meaningless thing. Then this meaningless thing. It's one last meaningless thing. Sports and we draft things we know, like how beaches are terrible places to go. No hot fruit for Michael, nor Diet Coke for Joe. The podcast woe. It's one last woe. Uh, have you prepared something? Do you have something for us? I, I haven't, but I can do something. Well, please do. All I right. mean, it's meaningless. It, it doesn't really matter. This is real. All right. So um, I got a new car a while back and it came loaded with Sirius XM. And then I'm the sucker who, when the free Sirius XM trial expired, um, I let them talk me into keeping it for another six months at, at a discount. And I keep telling myself I will you know, unsubscribe come August. I know that's not going to happen because I have no willpower. But right. it's all right. So here's the weird thing. You know, there's a million stations and I've programmed them all in and I, I completely messed up the order of the presets and there's too many of them now and I'll never be able to change them. So maybe for that reason alone, I should let the series expire because there's too many stations and they're all in the wrong order. But one thing I've noticed is they will bring a song into the rotation like that I have not heard in months or years or whatever. And I'll hear it on one station and suddenly it will start popping up on another and another and another and sort of can just very loosely fit the theme of every station they have. And I got to think like someone at the serious offices says like, I haven't heard the Friends theme song in a long time. Let's put the Rembrandts out there everywhere we possibly can. We're going to blow out the Rembrandts. And I don't know why they're doing it. I don't know how their algorithm works or anything, but I'm really kind of fascinated to see how many different stations I'll be there for you. I'm going to hear in the next week. Wow. That's very interesting. You know, as a, uh, I don't know if you know this, but uh, as a, as an owner of Sirius XM, because, uh, I got one uh, you got stock, stock from yes. them. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, as an owner, I, I I need to I need to get together with these people to ask them about that uh, to see. Yeah, I don't want that. I I don't want my SiriusXM to to become homogenized. I want you know I I want them to be you know very very different so that you know hey I'm listening to the Led Zeppelin 
uh, channel versus listening to the Billy Joel channel. I, I, I want there. Well, they got rid that. of the Billy Joel channel, which my kids are both very Thank upset you. about. Like they, no, Billy stop, Joel is stop. somehow Your their kids? favorite. My kids no. love Billy Joel. I'm from New Jersey. No. They make fun no. of me for loving Bruce Springsteen. My wife is from Long no. Island. She is reveling in this. They love it. And oh. they got rid of the Billy Joel channel. They're both very disappointed. And so now every time I'm flipping around it, Billy Joel comes on one of the other 17 channels that might, uh, reasonably play billy joel they're very excited they say dad stop there how old are your how old are your kids uh one is about to turn nine and one is 15 and i don't know how this happened and you they know can be saved they can still be saved please please do something they really they joe you would weep over how much they mock me about loving <laughs> bruce springsteen how do your girls feel about bruce well, and, and this is this is going to be a whole uh, this this is, brings us to a whole different thing. So, uh, my my girls have never cared about Bruce Springsteen until about uh, three months ago. My oldest daughter, uh, much in the same way that she came to Mad Men, suddenly became obsessed with Bruce Springsteen, um, and it's something that I'm planning on writing about because it's uh, been very very strange and uh, very exciting and fun as a father. Uh, but but again, my point being not that you should in any way uh, influence your your kids' musical. They should listen to whatever they want. They live their own lives. I'm not saying that. I'm saying you need to save them from Billy Joel. That's that's my only wow. that's my only complaint here. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, wow. That, that has to be stopped. I have no problem yeah, with Billy would... Joel. I just don't quite understand no, do. how I like do. a nine year old and a fifteen year old in the year 2019, yeah. he is their favorite singer. That's just. I, it's not right. It's not right. And and it must be stopped. All right. With my, with my one last meaningless thing to end this meaningless thing. Um, you know, I, here's something, and maybe this is something that you could use for your XM, uh, uh, and serious uh, thing as well. I have an, I have an Apple watch. Um, I'm not proud of that. I just do. I'm a gadget person. So I have an Apple watch and I wear it everywhere. And I went on a road trip, um, a couple weeks ago and uh, I forgot to bring the Apple Watch charger with me. So I uh, took off the Apple Watch because it, it, it ran out of power. And I went about four or five days where I did not wear a watch. And and I'm a big watch person. I've been wearing a watch forever, you know, 25, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. And so I am so I found myself at first looking to my wrist all the time, trying to say, oh, what time is it? What time is it? Um, but you get used to that. And what what was stunning to me was how freeing it felt to not get buzzed every time somebody emailed me or texted me or whatever. Of course, I saw on my phone, so I could potentially see it if, 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 you know, whatever. But that feeling of like the watch, like constantly my watch gets buzzed and I look, oh, who texted me, who emailed me or whatever. And I, and I thought, this is wonderful that I do not, I just, I, I, this is so great to have this feeling of just, hey, you know what? I'm I'm not here to uh, your beck and call. I'm not just the instant you send me an email, I might not see it. I mean, this is I am I have cut the rope and I'm completely free and and I felt great. It felt absolutely great. Four or five days of wonder, and I came home and immediately charged my Apple Watch and put it back on. So I I think there's something very wrong with me. Is is what I think has happened because I. I know I'm wearing my Apple Watch right now, and I don't want it on. I do not want to hear uh, to, to have it buzz me uh, at any point and 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 alert me. And of course, I know I can turn off all the alerts and do all that sort of thing. But my point is, I haven't done that, even though I know I should. 
I've I I don't have an Apple Watch or I do, but it's it sits in a drawer because it like you, it was kind of annoying. You're right. it should. But like even the phone, I turn off almost all notifications. It's basically like Good unless someone sends me a text, I do not want the phone to buzz. I I can check my email on my own time. I can check Twitter, all of those things. You know, I'm already looking at the phone far more than is remotely healthy. So turn down every notification you possibly can, kids. I think that's the I think that's the the only lesson to come from this. Well, the two lessons to come from this are one, turn down the phone, and two, be happy that the Yankees uh, are are betraying you. I think those are the two lessons to come from this week's podcast. I should have taken Tony Soprano with my first pick just to show you. <laughs> you did. You tried to take Walter White with yep. your first pick. I, I think that that really would have worked well, actually. Well, this was wonderful as always. Thank you so much. Joe, thanks for having me.